Hey guys, it's Dana DiLorenzo, Kelly from Ash vs. Evil Dead. You're listening to Midwest Monsters. What a cool name. I'm excited. I'm sorry. I picked this topic. I love this movie. It's a scary movie. It's a scary movie. And it still affects me just the same. I cannot put that on. I gotta tell you, something about this movie worked for me. I was oh, like, it rocked. So, I mean, that's kind of, that's debatable, but I mean, it's a great movie. That, you know, I, it's my right as a viewer, as somebody who spends my money and time to go watch these films, to have my opinions and be disappointed. But that's what I love about about this group doing this podcast right now, is that on so many pages, <laughs> we're like right there with each other. But then, I mean, it, it's it's almost inevitable that, uh, you know, half the time we're going to go, you're out of your mind. You are out of your mind. I'm sorry, man. That's- Welcome to the Midwest Monster Podcast. And now, here are your hosts. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to another exciting episode of the Midwest Monsters Podcast. Coming at you from Muncie, Indiana, as we usually do. I'm one of your hosts, Grizzly Abner, and I'm joined by... Mad Jay! Professor Wagstaff. Glad to be with you again. Boy, we haven't recorded in, what, five, six weeks now? Yeah, wow. It's been a run. It's been quite a run. But uh, watched some movies, had some good times. Looking forward to enjoying an evening here, recording with the Monsters. Yeah, buddy. So, we are... Tonight, looking at the Monster Mash. Yes. Number 658. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, we have no idea. We don't know what number we're up I to. I think we're going to stop numbering them, guys. We're we just going to leave it up to you. Episode, <laughs> that we're gonna I, I, still, I still will because I'm obsessive. But <laughs> yeah. it really doesn't matter. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, let's talk about what movie we picked okay. uh, and why. Um, it's been so long. Do we remember which ones we picked? Yeah, I, I, oh, I remember which one I picked. <laughs> I believe I picked dolls. Correct. Yes. yes. Correct. I picked dolls strictly for this reason. Uh, one of the local video stores here, Dave's Video. Shout out. Um, they had a used copy of Scream Factory's dolls sitting on the shelf, and I'd never seen it. And uh, I thought, well, I just can't buy one sight unseen. I just don't do that anymore. We used to do that. You know, in our early days still all the time. Do, still yeah, do. Still do. <laughs> a lot. Well, I don't like throwing my money in the trash. Yeah. So, I'm just joking, guys. Come on. No, don't. Come back. Come back. No. <laughs> um, uh, so, uh, no, I, it had been sitting there, and it was like 11 or 12 bucks. That's, yeah. that's a good price for a used screen mm-hmm. factory with the slipcase. And um, I thought, well, come on. What? It's Gordon Lewis. I mean, uh, yeah. Stuart Gordon. Stuart Gordon Lewis. I get Herschel Gordon, Stuart, Stuart Gordon, Herschel Gordon Lewis. Look, we haven't done Stuart this in a couple months. Yeah, you're right. good, you're I don't good. know where I'm at. What is a horror movie? <laughs> um, it was Stuart Gordon. Uh, it's some early Charles Band uh, puppet work, and it's pre the insanity of Puppet Master. Yeah. Um, so I thought, oh, I don't know, maybe I'll get. And then one day I, I saw it there for like the fifth time, and I was like, it is an injustice that this Scream Factory movie is still here. Matter of fact, I'm going home to get some DVDs to trade in, and I'm taking this baby home with me. <laughs> I'm making sure this gets a good home. Right. Solely for that purpose. So that's I why that. I picked it, and I wanted to watch it. Um, my pick was a movie from the 70s called Alice, Sweet Alice. 
uh, I saw it on a top 50 list. Actually, two top 50 lists. I was going through a couple of top 50 horror movies, top 50 slasher movies. And um, I was jotting down things that I hadn't seen just for this show so I could watch new material. You know, have, have things to bring to the table. And Alice Sweet Alice was on both of these lists. And it actually, to my surprise... Was was above halfway on both of these lists, so I was like, "Oh, how's this escaped me for so long?" So that's the reason I wanted to watch it. Now, unlike the other two movies that we're talking about tonight, Alice Sweet Alice doesn't have a Blu-ray release and it barely has a DVD release, and it's hard to get a hold of it that for a price that you want to pay for a movie you've never seen. Mm-hmm. But I mean, so yeah, I, I picked it because it was on these two lists and regarded by these uh, critics, and I was so I wanted to see it. Awesome. Uh, I picked The Serpent and the Rainbow. Yes. Uh, one that had been announced quite some time ago by Scream Factory, um, well before Mr. Craven's passing. Uh, and it kept having delays, and then it finally came out. And then, so it was just kind of on my mind when we were deciding for the next show. And I thought, well, I'm going to watch it anyways, and it'd be kind of a, a nice one to cover. So, I mean, that's solely the reason that I picked that. Cool. That's awesome. All right. So, Mad Jam, where do we begin? Man, let's just go ahead and start with mine, get it out of the way, and then we'll talk <laughs> about two actual really good movies, man. So, um, Alice, Sweet Alice, 1976, directed by Alfred Soule, written by Rosemary Retivo and Alfred Soule, um, starring Linda Miller, Mildred Clinton, Paula Shepard, and Brooke Shields, nobody worth mentioning. Uh, no big stars in this movie. I know I said Brooke Shields, but I stand by my no big stars. Well, um, she was a little star at that point. <laughs> Hello. Um, Please don't make me leave. Initial thoughts on the movie. Um, I'll go ahead and give mine. Um, I, it was boring. It really, I mean, there was no pacing. I didn't feel like there were any pacing, anything that kind of kept you interested. Horror movies have a have a pace like the soundtrack wasn't there there wasn't a whole lot that kept me they kept me going or kept me waiting like i didn't uh, i don't know i didn't really care <laughs> a quarter of the way into the movie maybe a third of the way into the movie i really didn't care what was going on anymore but i gave it a fair shot and i still didn't like it anybody else uh for me it was a kind of of a just an interesting little build-up of interest in it. I was actually okay. glad you picked it because um, our a friend of the show, uh, Sean, this movie scared him as a kid. Mm, um, and it was one of those things just over the years, I'm always asking people like, well, what's, Sean's always been scared of girls. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, soon to be father. Uh, <laughs> but, um, you know, I, over the years, I always like to ask people, you know, what movie scared you when you were little? And he mentioned that. And I was like, what? How? I don't even know what that is. I mean, this was like maybe six or seven years ago. And I can remember even uh, the opportunity of looking for stuff online. That was one of the first things I looked for. So Mm -hmm. it's something that I'd had for quite some time and looked forward to watching, just never got around to it. The stills of it were cool in books and online uh, with the mask. Uh, The religious angle seemed like it, it could be maybe potentially a brutal movie. It had other titles like maybe... I jotted them down. Holy Terror and Communion were also names for it. Um, so I was excited to go into it. And the, the I thought the first act was excellent. I thought even the credits were ominous. Um, they had me. And then they didn't. <laughs> right. 
Uh, the, yeah, the first the first act, I was like, okay, this is kind of interesting. This is kind of different. And I kept trying to remind myself of when it's made, 76. Like, this isn't really a copycat film, so I shouldn't compare it to what it seems like with, mm-hmm. you know, the copious amounts of films I have watched in Slashers. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, we'll go further into it, but that was kind of my you know, experience leading up to it. My overall thought, like I was excited to watch it. It's one that had been on my radar for a long time because of Sean saying mm-hmm. it scared the hell out of him. Um, and even getting going, I, I started to feast in like, you know, when those credits rolled, I was like, Oh, this might actually be cool. Yeah. But nah, we'll go further. <laughs> well, boys, I love this movie. That's a joke. <laughs> no, that's a joke. <laughs> I was like, Oh man. <laughs> always happens. There's always one. No, man, I had heard of this movie before. I just heard of it, you know, just Alice, sweet Alice. Seen it on some lists, seen it in some books, and thought, oh, I don't know, I don't know what that is, whatever. Mad Champ picked it, and I said, okay, I'll give this a shot. And the same thing, uh, with the religious angle, I thought, okay, this is really going to pull me in, you know, this is going to be something. And, um, you know, sort of the pomp and circumstance of it, though I'm not Catholic, being Lutheran, we do have a lot of that pomp and circumstance and liturgy and confirmation and first communion and all that stuff so it was stuff that i could very much identify with um and i like that and i like the ritual of it and then i was like oh cool yeah yeah yeah." and then uh boy then it went nowhere yeah for me yeah no and it doesn't really man it's like a i don't know man and i know sometimes we say this about some slow burn movies but it really kind of reminded me of some of those like giallo movies where it's not yeah really, it was very giallo it's not really about who the killer is it's right. just about the style right and, like the look and stuff like that yeah. and the suspense and like yeah, the feel of the moment yeah not, by the, not the reality of yeah it. right the feel of the moment not the reality so it very much felt like a, a giallo film to me yeah i actually had thought of that and completely forgotten i'm <laughs> glad you mentioned that that's a good point yeah yeah so where do we go from here? Um, On to the next. No, I'm joking. <laughs> no, we, we actually totally <laughs> no. can't because the next two no, movies no, are, no, are no. awesome. I Alice. 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 <laughs> well, no, that was the thing. because we so, so we get into the movie, and in the first few minutes of the movie, we find out that there's a little girl named Alice, played by Paula Shepard, who has a... I want to say she's her younger sister. Is Karen yeah, the younger yeah, sister yeah. taking First Communion? Karen or? is younger, yeah. You know, that's what Alice I thought, too. Alice is older. That's what I thought, too. Yeah. So... And then Karen, her younger sister, played by Brooke Shields, you can see that Alice has like this, she's jealous of Karen. And she's taking her doll, and she's uh, taking her communion. Karen's she's a baby. Right, right. Yeah. She's wearing her communion veil and things of this nature. And then we get to the day of Karen's first communion, and Karen's lining up to go take first communion, and then she's mysteriously killed by a figure in... A raincoat and a plastic mask. But they set you up by showing us Alice in a raincoat, very similar, looking at a plastic mask, very similar, which we find out later that she does have one of those as well. So right. and, the, and the raincoats are like, you know, standard issue for the kids going to this school, Catholic yeah. school. Right, yeah. right. So that's it. That leads to our first murder, and then it's uh, it becomes the... And there's a lot of weird... Um, relationships in this movie from the from a, a larger gentleman i don't know is this an apartment building does he live in the i think he's the landlord so he's a landlord in a building and uh then the the father who doesn't live with him but the him and the mother are still married like there's a whole bunch of weird estranged relationships 
and then the one that the woman has with the priest, like they're not in a relationship, right. but romantic type, but the way she feels about him and protection. So yeah. there's a whole, this movie's about relationships, but they don't delve far enough into any one to make it worth your while to get yeah. invested in them. Right. And you don't really get invested in any of the characters because they don't give, to me, they don't set up any time for you to like any of these people, and we don't spend a significant amount of time with any of them. So when somebody actually does get picked off, you don't care. I mean, I, that's the way I felt about it. Yeah. And it was really sad because, like I said, I read that this movie was so much better than what I actually thought it was. And I know 76 was a different time in film, but that's just me. Yeah, these characters... Um priest it's interesting you can tell that he's a beloved priest but he's a little too touchy for me like mm -hmm. real a little too close to the people and like this is an era before like you know pedophile priests in the news and they, right, you know, right. we're definitely not going to go do because this just isn't that's not what we're going to talk about no that's no, just no more but, button pushing yeah for a, in a generic sense right yeah. and so like this priest was very kind and very sweet but a little too close like it made you wonder if maybe there was something going on with the yeah. mom or something you right. know like it was interesting. Like, um, there's that scene where they're in the car together, and he's just op talking to her openly, and I was like, I don't think he'd ever say that. You know, yeah. from the type of relationship, like, we have a different relationship, but you're not my preacher. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Right. I feel like you would talk to me differently if we were at that relationship, not the friendship we exactly. do. Exactly. So, um, yeah, it was. I agree with you. Yeah, so that was interesting. And then that rapey landlord character. <laughs> oh, yeah, dude. That's gross, man. Like, no, no, not just because of, like, his... I mean, his, his size and his hygiene, but like, just like the girl comes in and he like, oh, he like almost talks like an aristocrat at times, but while he has a big piss stain on his pants, yeah. I mean, it, he was such an uncomfortable character, which so many of these things that we're talking about goes back to these Jalo films. Exactly. With this, just these bizarre players um, where you almost start to teeter into like a little bit of bad and good in everyone that we're dealing with. Uh, like with, you're talking about with the priest, it's like by, by lobbing out some of those kind of weird nuances with this guy. Now we're not automatically dismissing him as a hero. Who's to say he's not in on, on something yeah. that may unfold in front of us. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, so many things go back to the, those Jallo films with like this almost sequestered, alienated little community, this little world we're put in um, that we move around in with all these characters that are a little off um, that aren't necessarily pure or evil from what we're at least being given as a viewer. Um, but I think a large part of that is, and, and the biggest flaws with this film go back to the man that clearly had control over this, the one that wrote and directed it. Mm -hmm. I don't know if he was a fan of those films and was trying to make his own American little version, uh, to cash in. Cause I mean, this would have been by the time, you know, 76, if it was being filmed the year before, that's at the tail end of really the, the whole craze of those films over in Italy. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, maybe that's what this is because this movie for starters is way too long. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah way and too so long. so you look and, and on the copy I watched in the credits, it says his name rights reserved 1998. So he still holds control over this. Huh. So I don't know how independent this was. Um, I know it was made in New Jersey. I noticed that just in looking it up, but I don't know what kind of budget it had, who was behind it, but clearly there was nobody telling this guy no, because 107 minutes is way too long for this film. Oh, yeah. Um, the second act is complete melodrama, with, I think with the exception of the stabbing on the steps, yeah. which was just, uh, uh, like, 
that scene is symbolic for this film. It started off so cool. It's scary when she pops up, stabs her yeah. in the leg and the foot. And then she goes out into the rain and screams. And the other woman with her screams like she's dying. Mm-hmm. She's stabbed in the leg. I mean, the other, <laughs> I mean, it hurts, but like we've got this this dramatic almost right. feeling like it's in, towards the end of the movie. And we're like 35 minutes in. Yeah. This woman's crawling around in the rain screaming. Yeah. It's like, I was like, what the hell am I watching right now? <laughs> right. And, and what's funny about this, and again, I can't, I'm so glad you brought up the comparison to that because the perfect way to describe this is it is like a Jallo film without all of the expression. Right. Which is unfortunate all because right. that's the best part of those films is you almost, it's like being in a dream. Is you it just, possible to say a flat Jallo film? Because they're yeah. pretty flat to begin with. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You watch them for the <laughs> angles of that subgenre. And that's what we get here. And like, I mean, we'll go further into it, but the the only thing that saved this for me as a viewer in any capacity was the heavy police involvement. I thought that was a huge crutch that helped them that mm-hmm. we kept going back to the police and then yeah. looking into this just to help move the story along. Cause Oh my God, it felt like we were running in quicksand for like a half hour there in the, in the heart of the movie. I'm going to uh, oh, go ahead. Go I was going to say, and that's the thing, even though it was so slow and it drug, it stressed me out. Yeah. The little girl stressed me out. The interaction with their mom stressed me out. Like I was just like, "Gosh, somebody take control here!" Yeah. You know, like somebody do something. So it was like not only slow, but it was painful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think that that's actually one of my notes. It's like, why are why is nobody doing anything? Yeah, like you suspect it's this little girl, but yet it's over an hour before, or, oh, well over an hour before we even get her in to be interviewed. Right. And then when we finally do get her in to be interviewed, she freaks out and knocks your lie detector equipment on the floor. <laughs> it's just like a little mean ass girl, man. <laughs> she needs yeah. something needs to happen Somebody anyway. Needs to paddle her, son. <laughs> Seriously, and that's what get I thought that about. Smacked. It. That's right. Um so where are we at right now? Well, I was just gonna add to that real Go quick ahead. that I think that what you're saying too goes back to what I was saying with the complete control because the storytelling is like chunked blocks. It does not flow at all. Yeah, it's and like, I think that's a direct result of it not having someone more polished with editing and, and script writing to say, you need to trim the fat off this movie. <laughs> like some of the stuff is just completely unnecessary. Yeah. It almost yeah. feels like they wrote the kills. Like they wrote action scenes. It's like filler. You know, mm-hmm. like, oh, okay, no, this happens. This is cool. And he's going to pop up. And she's He's going to chase her upstairs. And she's going to pop out and stab him. And then she's going to roll him off. Of, you know, it almost feels like they wrote that. And then everything in between was an afterthought. Yeah. Like, every single one of those scenes. Because they're, they're all, all, most of that stuff is standalone. Yeah. Well, so. it's it's a few years. Before. The, ex- the Exorcist is kind of what drawn at that point. But I could see somebody around that time having that idea of the murder at a little girl's communion as being shocking and button button pushing as the, the centerpiece of a horror movie. Right. And that's where all this was dreamt up. Maybe mm-hmm. not directly from the exorcist, yeah. but the time. Right. And then we just try and write a story from there and clearly had no help doing it with people who could have made it better because right. it is a shocking and startling and upsetting beginning to a film. The mask is cool. It predates, you know, things we see in future movies, even some of that stuff resembles like mass and the Canadian slasher curtains mm. and the strangers. I mean, like, yeah, so it's, it's got some of these little merits and glimpses of things that are kind of cool, but it doesn't matter because the movie's not fun to watch. Right. You know what I mean? So I, that's, that's just, and the reveal lame. I mean, like just all of it. And I hate the fact that after we find out who it is, we still live in that for a half hour. 
Oh, yeah. Or if not more. We find early. out who's doing the killing, and we live in that for a while. Yeah, which also, and by have the to way, know. Because that takes all the whole end scene where they're back in church. That takes all that out of it, man. Yeah. Like, you don't even care by that point because you're like, something's about to happen in three, two, there it goes. Yeah, yeah. If, she, the re- she, if the reveal would have been the scene in the church. Oh, yeah. Ooh, seriously. A whole different movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah, completely. Because that, that end scene in the church yeah. is the best. It's in the brutal. Movie. Oh, definitely, yeah. definitely. And the fact that she sits there and... Uh, Okay, the old lady did it. All right, it's okay. Alice didn't so, do it. The old lady did it. So the old lady is like a caretaker. She, yeah, yeah she's, sure. li- she's like a live-in caretaker for these old for these priests, young, old. Right. She's like she prepares their meals, cleans up, after answers them. the phone for yeah. them. Yeah, like that's so what she's she like does. a caretaker uh, at the uh, parsonage or rectory or um, right. And passionate about her Catholicism. Yeah, <laughs> right. Very, right. Well, right. and that's the next catch. So she. We find out that she lost a daughter at some point. Right. So that kind of may be a motivating factor for her. And then we see that she kind of has this sense of duty. Because mm-hmm. now she feels like she's looking out for the priests. Right. And then self-righteousness. Because that, that is the power in that scene at the end, which should have been the reveal scene. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like it's, had the cops describing what they're going to do, but we don't know what they're for yes. who. We just... That right. would have been... Oh, that would have been great film because she's got this sense of self righteousness because that's a big thing. I'm not going to talk bad about Catholicism because I don't do that, but it, she she's got this sense of self righteousness because she's upset that the priest is communing these girls who come from a divorced relationship. Yeah, yeah. right. But they would commune her, especially on that day, because they knew she was the killer. Yeah. And she's like, you'll commune them, but you won't commune and did, me. And did she say that uh, the, the youngest was born before they were married? Or Alice oldest, was. Alice was born with, yeah. yeah. So she's too. got this sense of self-righteousness. So, and like, she kills the dad because the dad was an adulterer. I yeah. Mean, yeah. Right. Yeah, and that's... I'd like <laughs> now. I'd like to say this doesn't happen, but it does. It's It, it happens in your... your more of your denominations that are more strict about things. Mm -hmm. You have these people that take it upon themselves that, well, why do they get to be part of this? They broke the rules rather than grace, forgiveness, not to the extent that they stab people like this lady. But it's also an element of just crazy. Right. Exactly. So you get these extremists who then become the self-righteous gatekeepers as we call them. Yeah. Uh, I gotta, I gotta say, man, there's that scene show at the end when she stabs the priest, the man, he comes in, she, there's this scene, you guys, she grabs onto him and hugs him. And there's this lingering scene, the shot, like over the shoulder where she's hugging him and blood just oozes out over her jacket where she's holding him. She's holding him to his death, through his demise, through his passing. And it was just that right there. That was one thing I did like right, because yeah. it was just so. I love the end of this movie. Yeah, no, that's that's just because, yeah. not just because it was the end. <laughs> Well, right, right, right. Let yeah. me describe this too, just to further elaborate on what I was saying with with what I would have liked. And if viewers take it upon themselves to watch this film, maybe they'll agree. Yeah. If if like I said, we've got the cops discussing what they're going to do when they get in there, and we don't know who it's going to be for. Exactly. But then I, you know, you think back to that scene where they're actually up there taking communion. How wonderful would that scene have been if we oh, go definitely. through the cast of characters almost like a curtain call? With them up there, knelt oh, down, yeah. Oh, yeah. and we Palms don't know there, because yeah. they're all. Some, we all have, or not all of them, but a good majority of them leaning in for right. comfort. It's a meaningful right. moment for them. And then 
we have that happen. This one gets oh communion. Oh my God, this movie would be worshipped. Oh, there that you go. The case. Yeah. But again, this goes back to clearly this guy had complete control on it. So Adam Green, if you're listening, you can remake this, buddy. I'll come see it. <laughs> I'll, give you, I'll give you money for a shirt then. Oh, goodness. No, but Alice Sweet Alice, like I said, guys, uh, I, I, if you're curious, definitely check it out. You may be a purist that doesn't like our review of it. Well, then tell us why you didn't like our review yeah. of it. But for the most part, man, most of this movie just drags. And, but I'm, I'm not mad that I watched it because now I can mark it off that yeah, list. Curiosity. Yeah, curiosity. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. only recommend this to diehard slasher fans. And if you really like Jallo films, maybe... Veer off just, just for a point of reference. Yeah, right. but yeah, I wouldn't I, recommend this blindly to anyone. I wouldn't recommend this to anybody. So. All right, man. Good. Oh, boy, I'm feeling great. Uh, I am now. That's <laughs> over. Get it done. All right, man, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> Next up, we got The Serpent and the Rainbow, 1988, directed by Wes Craven, written by Richard Maxwell and Adam Rodman, based on a book by Wade Davis, starring Bill Pullman, Zakes Moik, and Michael Go, and I love Michael Go. For those of you who don't know, he was Alfred in the original Batman series, not the '66, but the uh, Michael Keaton on. He was he was Alfred from nice. those movies. Nice. <laughs> um, initial thoughts. Boy, I got to tell you, I really like this movie, <laughs> and I really like this movie because I love voodoo. You go, if you go right back here to my man room, I got books on voodoo. It's just always fascinated me. So anything in movies or cartoons or video games, anything that's dealt with voodoo, I've always enjoyed. So this movie is just is just a little magical for me. Uh, I know it's not the best movie, but I, I really like it. It's dang close. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think this teeters on not being a horse. I think it's some of Wes Craven's finest directing um, out of his entire career. And, you know, there's definitely some merits about it and, and some things that I don't personally enjoy, but that I recognize as not being a fault of the film. Just my taste. Yeah. So. This movie uh, scared the shit out of me when I was 13, and it scared the shit out of me when I'm 34. <laughs> so, I'm seriously, like, I watched this movie. I watched this movie early on. I rented it from BNC Video here in Richmond. Yeah. Uh, I watched this movie early on, and uh, I watched it just the other day. I've seen it a few times in between. But, man, I'm terrified of this movie. I really am. There's aspects of this movie that makes me that keeps me up at night. And I like it. Um, Man, synopsis. You want me to go ahead and lay it down? Uh, or, whoever. Yeah, it's yours. Yeah, it don't matter. It don't matter to me. I'm not sure? good at synopsis. <laughs> I, know, I know it's your movie, but I don't want to take it from you. No, no, go you're ahead, fine. buddy. You're good. Uh, so, Bill Pullman... Uh, is a professor, or does he work for Harvard or something like that? He wears uh, a Harvard shirt at some point. Yeah, I think so. One of the it's it's Ivy League. Yeah. One of them fancy pants schools, you know. <laughs> Ball State? <laughs> He's a Ball State Cardinal, you know. Uh, but uh, so he um, he researches like these these drugs that are uh, um, that have uh, holistic. Yes, hallucinating, uh, hallucination, uh, hallucinogens, sort of, I'm trying to find the right word here. <laughs> yeah, these were these drugs that are hallucinogens. Uh, he's also, um, uh, but now he's found out about this, this zombie-like drug in, in Haiti, and he wants to find it because he, it's going to be something that uh, could be very important for the medical world because 
what a lot of people don't realize is that sometimes when you put people under with um uh why am i not anesthesia my, yes losing my words you're good sing the birthday song <laughs> when they when they use these anesthetics on people sometimes people die yeah. when you go under when you are anesthetized you sign a form saying you realize that this may kill you and luckily i've never known anybody that died under anesthesia not for that reason and i've never died under anesthesia but like that happens so what he's looking into is this drug that uh, supposedly created this zombie, which there are true stories like this. There are true stories mm -hmm. in Haiti of people that have been zombified, um, that have been given some sort of drug concoction, and it has, they've been, as far as most people understand, dead. Yeah, and it appeared back. not like days later, years later, because the, the movie's based on this doctor's book. I don't right. know how much of it is directly true of what we're watching, but yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. Um, so he's thinking, well, obviously it's not voodoo, it's not magic, but it is something legit. And if we could figure out how to do this, we could save lives by anesthetizing people with this zombie drug thing. And they'll, you know, be near death for a day and then they'll come up and the surgery will be over and they'll safely be okay. That's kind of the gist of the movie. Yeah. So I've got to... <laughs> The idea of being buried alive terrifies me. Oh, when I yeah. was 13, I saw this... At 12 or 13, I saw this movie for the first time. And since that day, the idea of being... This is what gave me that idea. Yeah. The idea of being buried alive, not being able to speak, not being able to move, and being buried alive terrifies me. And because of this movie. And that, that scene is so masterfully done because we get to watch this guy being lowered in a box... And we're inside the box, and you see one tear rolling. You see tears rolling down his face, but he can't move as the dirt's being piled on top of him. That started. That's the beginning of this movie, and that doesn't even get into what else we get into. And that came from the parade, right? Is that what we're supposed to take it as? The parade that's right outside the window and what they've got going on? Does that get to him? Why he's in the, the hospital? And and that's why we watch him because they got like the casket on fire and stuff, and we watch right. them check all his vitals. Mm -hmm. and that's how we're kind of introduced. Right. Like we've right. got voodoo, and that's kind of what I took it as, but okay. I wasn't positive. One thing I did want to ask you guys that I wasn't clear on: his initial journey there, where his spirit animal leads him back. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, why is he there initially? Is is he doing his own? individual research in the area i take it that he, i always took it that he was there for something else well, yeah, like like still there. related to work but like well, he, we're approached by the pharmaceutical company after he's back you know because right. they heard about that so i was just curious like as a professor if he was there on his own research uh, yeah I, th I thought it was yeah he was there not just like hey i'm going to haiti for a vacation but he was there for a reason this is the way i always took it and then they were like well we need you to go back for this reason well he was in south america when he took the hallucinogen. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. So he's somewhere. Yeah. I'm but see, and I always associate the two because the guy that he sees when he's taking his hallucinogen is the guy from later in the movie. Right. So I always assumed it was okay. Yeah. So what I'm thinking is he was there somewhere in South America. Cause I think they said like he went through so many miles of Amazon. Okay. okay. So, right. Uh, he's somewhere in South America. I'm assuming for the same sort of research. That's why I said he researches hallucinogens yeah, yeah. earlier because like he's looking for what these tribes use and if there's any medical benefit yeah. to them. I don't okay. think he meant to trip balls like he did. Right? No. <laughs> well, yeah, because the guys laugh right. once they give it to him. Right. Because he didn't 
So right. he, so he's there. I assume he's there for other work. Right. That's, and the only reason I mention this is not to nitpick, but I think for listeners who haven't seen the movie, that might even, I don't know, it's more of an enticing angle. Yeah. Like this because, guy's so, a professor. He's right. not your typical leading man. And I think that also, I don't know that it puts it into a horror film, but it, it, it definitely lends to that there is something supernatural going on. Yeah. And so I think this is where, when we, if we talk later about whether this is a horror film or a thriller, I think this does lend some to the supernatural aspect because as Matt Chan brought up, when he takes the hallucinogen, he sees stuff from his future. He sees the guy that is the voodoo villain. Okay, so that's what you take so, it as. Is right. He sees the voodoo villain from the future. Right. And then, okay. Yeah, and I, then I took later, it as the guy was in both in both spots. Like, no, no, no. When you come to when you do this, I'm the one who's controlling your fate. That's yeah. his sense yeah. of enlightenment. Yeah, okay, right. I got so, you. so to me, that's what makes the movie neat and further with my fascination oh, yeah. with voodoo and, right and uh, psychotropic drugs. Um, because, too, he sees a spirit animal later in Haiti. So right. he sees the bad guy in his dream that he later finds in Haiti, but he also finds his spirit animal that he found while in South America. Leopard, right? Both, in a yeah. sense, leading him. Exactly. Yeah. So it's not the fact that he just saw these while he was tripping. It's the fact that something bigger than the drugs is happening here. Right. There's right. something mystical, into something, something uh, animistic, something religious, something shamanistic. Something is happening more than just yeah. tripping. And unlike the first film we discussed, this almost doesn't have any fat on it. I mean, you listen to us kind of picking apart just the opening 15 minutes, making sure we're, we're <laughs> yeah. all on the same page yeah, because, yeah, 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 yeah. because it is slick, man. They do not waste time saying, hey, no. dummy. This is what's going on. It moves. Yeah. It moves fast. There's so much, man. Yeah, like, if you're uh, not paying attention, the bus will eat without you. Yeah, yes, it will. <laughs> yeah, man. He was a. Uh, there's just so much in this movie freaked me out. Just in this little things, and and I don't know why. I've seen carnival sideshows and things like that, but like when the dude is eating the glass, like uh, you know, yeah. in the fight, like just little things. There's little things in this movie that really just kind of get me going. You know, like oh man. It's, because it, 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 I think those little things are added in so you never sit easy mm-hmm. when you're watching this movie. Because you can't. Because even when you start sitting easy between the, the voodoo, the cops are busting it and, yeah. and roughing him up. And we get, a long, we get a longer stretch while he's waiting to find the, the, uh, the zombie dust or whatever. Mm-hmm. That they bust in and they tie him to a chair. I mean, there's so much in this movie. You can't ever start to rest. Yeah. Because he goes off and has, he goes off and he gets intimate with the woman, and you get this moment where you're like, ha ha ha, and then we get the dream. So I mean, there's yeah. no, there's no time to rest. You're like, oh okay, I'm easy now, and then all of a sudden the dream pops up with the zombie bride and the veil, which we know comes back later. Mm-hmm. Like all that, I, I think that's crazy, man. What about that corpse bride? The corpse bride, yeah. Ooh. When the snake jumps out of the mouth oh, and just latches onto him, that's so great. terrifying. I'm gonna be honest. I looked away <laughs> and I actually rewound it. I was like, "This is unacceptable." If, I don't remember how much I've mentioned this on the episode. I don't deal well with snakes, even through a screen. Like right. they just inherently kill me. Like right, I right, hate right. hate them in any capacity. Little garbage snake, and that was done so well. And I I started to look away. I actually rewound it. I was like. Nope, this is unacceptable. I need to watch a scene and uh, look at me. It looked fantastic, um, yeah. which leads me to something I wanted to mention that I thought not. 
uh, also accompanied what Mad Chan was saying, which I do think the urgency of this film is a big part of it. What you're talking about, there's never a safe place. Mm -hmm. We're always moving. I think that is great for the film. Oh, yeah. Um, And doesn't hit you over the head with it. It's just like the viewer never has a chance to exhale. Right. We're constantly in danger of something. And you are not overthrown, you know? Yeah. Like, it's just crazy. But to accompany that, I think something that works very well for this film is that I think it's pretty apparent that everyone involved in this is earning their paycheck. Um, This is Bill Pullman in these scenes. This is not a double. Like, you Mm -hmm. can tell by the way it's shot, and most of the cast, that this is them doing this stuff. I mean, and I watched in the special feature on on the Blu-ray for this with the snake scene, for instance, he's got a real snake in one of his hands and a puppet on the end of it. And he takes the puppet into his neck, but that is a snake at, you know, on the backside of it that he's got a hold of. Oh, wow. And so, I mean, just the little details of authenticity, that's why I was talking earlier. I think this is some of Wes Craven's greatest work because... There, there was no gimmicks. He made people earn this. He wanted an authentic film based on a story mm-hmm. that he found interesting with this book that he'd read. Um, and like, for instance, the, the glass chewing, the cinematographer talked about that. That's real glass. That's, you know, that's not an actor. You're watching somebody down there chew glass. Yeah. And so uh, not only is this film very effective and engaging to watch, but it, in some ways it's like a passive documentary. You know what I mean? Like right. they're really not trying to trick you with a lot of this stuff. And some of the imagery is terrifying. Like that with the bride, would you call it a bride? Mm-hmm. Kind of well, that's what, approaching. Yeah, was... Terrifying. That is such a scary scene. Yeah. And then on top of it with the, the jump scare with the, the snake. Whew. See, the, that's one thing that uh, movies today, they have us, they're trying to condition us. But with this movie, it was shot in uh, eight, or 86, 87, you know, because the release was in 88. With this movie, man, like, you have to assume that most of these things are real. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, the way today it's like, oh, we're going to chew glass and we've got... But that, I always assumed, I'd never even seen the DVD stuff or Blu-ray stuff at that point. I just always assumed that was real glass because it felt like a real setting. Everything about that movie was just, seemed authentic. So, that I think that's the extra level that this movie gave me was just that it's like i was like i'm never going to haiti you see what i'm saying like i freaked out kind of thing man um bill fullman figures out that the powder that he was sold was not what he was actually looking for that was an awesome scene man he uh go ahead anybody else no oh no so bill fullman finds the guy who makes the who makes the zombie powder Mm -hmm. and he agrees to, he buys some powder from him and he said, well, how do I know it really works? Or he agrees to buy some powder from him. He said, how do I know it really works? And they bring in a goat. And while the guy's not looking, Bill Pullman takes his pocket knife and scratches the bottom of the goat's front hoof. And he, he was like, so they feed it to the goat and they feed it to the goat. The goat dies. And he says, all right, well, I'll be back tomorrow. he's like i'll be back tomorrow he's like what he's like it's not about the goat dying it's about the goat coming back to life right and then they show back up and then he's like where's the goat and the guy shows him the goat he looks on his hoof he sees that the goat's not real and the guy gets pissed off bill pullman takes the supposed powder yeah and dumps it into the beer that he's drinking and kills it and walks away and the guy's like 
how are you not dying? And then he runs outside. He's like, all right, I'm caught. <laughs> right. He's just like, what? Yeah. and the woman asked him, she said, what was it? He's like, I, I'm assuming it was rat poison. Yeah. But that's not what it was. This is it. This is this right here. A little slide of hand. Right, a little slide of hand. And then uh, the guy's like, all right, I'll teach you how to make the real powder, but you have to do it with me. Which leads to an even more terrifying scene when they start busting up skulls. And yeah. oh, my goodness, man. Can we talk about how, how do I pronounce his name? Zakes? Zakis? Yeah. Zuckies? Zakes? 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 Mokai? The main bad Zakes guy. Mokai. Zakes Mokai. Great villain. Great villain. Mm-hmm. He's got a smile that oh, just stop you. man. Because that there's nothing... a little smile, and you just know it's pure evil behind it. That's what I'm saying, because there's nothing... There's nothing happy about that smile. That smile is just like, Haha, you played right into my trap. Yeah, he's a great movie villain. Maybe I didn't should realize. have been a Bond villain. He really <laughs> should have. He, he, I didn't realize how good he was the last time I watched this. But, I mean, it's been like 10, 12 years since I watched it the first time. Yeah. Like He's so good as a screen villain. Like I was just blown away by his performance in this movie. Yeah, he was excellent. Um, another scary part, uh, when Bill Pullman uh, goes back to Haiti and he talks about, oh, you know, it hasn't affected me much, and the other guy says, "You don't know what hasn't gotten to you." Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? That Bill Pullman's like, "I've dealt with this. It's not been a big deal." Oh no, my friend, you don't know what hasn't gotten <laughs> to you. You know, but that dinner scene where he's oh, back in America with the hand and the soup. Yeah. yeah. Oh, the hand and the soup, and how the he, woman the woman starts chewing on glass, and like because the zombie, the the main bad guy, is controlling him. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh man. It's unreal. It's a very smart movie. It's oh, very smart. Oh, definitely. And, of course, Pullman gets buried alive. Pullman gets a, a nail through his scrotum. Oh, yeah. man, dude. That, that Shot in the sack and a tarantula on your face. Have fun. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. I wonder Bill Pullman. Uh, I think he. I think it was this movie after this. He just started playing Bill Pullman in every movie. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, I don't want to get cast in anything else ever again. Uh, for my dynamic acting. So dude, there's that scene you brought up, the bad guy, where he's threatening... <laughs> He's threatening to be in his mind all the time. He's telling him about his dream. He was yeah. like, I, I, I was there. Yeah. Like, all the time. He, every time that guy opens his mouth to say something, he's like, I was there. I know what you saw. He's like, you saw me I, above the grave. Like, this guy just has it. And that's one of the things that scared me and still scares me. Yeah. It's like, that could happen to somebody. But I think from the time that Bill gets, quote, unquote, turned into a zombie, all the way through the end of the movie, is just... It's like there's no individual notes. It's just masterful. He gets buried alive. The guy helps him out. He's stumbling through the streets. He wanders upon the ritual. I mean, everything about that was well done. Because there was at the end where uh, they're in the the Haitian voodoo world. You know, the chairs moving and spinning yeah. and the, the thing. I don't know, man. Like the whole end of this, I loved all this movie, man. It's scary. When he says. I will not take your life. I will take, take your soul. soul. Oh, man. <laughs> it's good. It's good. Uh, Professor, it's good. anything else? Um, I just, I, I think, too, it's interesting that we kind of come full circle back to the origins of zombies and cinema. Yeah. Because at this point, we're starting to get close to the oversaturation mm-hmm. before we really kind of go dormant with zombies for a while. Um. And so we kind of go back to that old school. Cause I mean, we've covered white zombie on this. Episode oh yeah. Definitely. Where we watched Bella Lugosi control, mm-hmm. you know, all these, and we kind of go back to that angle. But 
um, and I, I wanted to address my thoughts on this as a horror film at this point, um, because I think that it still is a horror film. I wouldn't dismiss it as, as, as it being something else, but I think that Wes Craven wasn't trying to make a horror film on purpose. Because that's, to me, what the film feels like, ex- with the exception of our extreme moments of imagery with, you know, hallucinating things like, you know, the, the bloodbath, the, the dinner scene with the hand and the bowl, the snake. He's, I mean, and they're great scenes. But to me, we're dealing with a story that is real um, and a very realistic idea of a researcher going down to a land he's not familiar with to learn more about something. And so, I don't know, it's, it's hard for me to describe. I, while I was watching it, even at times, I kept thinking, this doesn't feel like a horror movie. Mm. As I, I still yeah. like it as a horror right. movie, but I feel like like Wes Craven was trying to broaden out in other things because it's a much richer film. Oh, yeah. Um, and so that's the way I say it. I wasn't trying to be sensational in, in a way that sounded dismissive when it really mm-hmm. wasn't. But that I don't know. It's a, It was a weird dynamic for me while I was watching it because in all of his other films, you know you're watching a horror film. Mm-hmm. And with this, at times, I didn't. Right. I mean, the subject matter is horror, but I, I wonder if some of this wasn't a hand forced during the making of. Yeah. No, 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 no. We need this, this, and this. Right. Make this more extreme. Make mm-hmm. this scarier. That's why people are coming to see you, Wes. Yeah. I don't know if that's true. But, you know, I mean, it, it just it felt not in any way of it being a, a fault to the film, but just that it was conflicted at times, tonally, um, where we were along this journey with this guy um, on, on some almost deep philosophical levels. Yeah. Uh, but then we've got snakes jumping out and biting him in the throat. So... I don't know. It's it sounds like I'm knocking the movie and I'm not. It's it was just a weird experience looking trying to look at it deeper than I did because I'd only seen this once before. I watched it about the same around mm-hmm. the same time you described, yeah. maybe ten years ago. I got much more out of it this time around oh, than yeah. then. I thought it was a good movie back then, but I think I understood more what was going on this go around. Mm-hmm. But that was something that I really found interesting. I'd be interested to hear, you know, what, what listeners think about that too if they think of as no it's just a straight horror movie i mean you guys feel that way just straight horror i mean i get the aspect that it, it could be more of a thriller it could be more yeah. of a uh i don't know i almost get the, I, I also get the notion of it almost being like a, a docudrama yeah you know? like, i just because... I, I something inherently feels like wes craven was trying to say look look at all i can do yeah. i'm not just this so i don't know maybe i'm way and i could make that. a movie that would look like if this guy's book were a documentary. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it's just some interesting, rich subject matter. It's, mm-hmm. it's a great film, though. Yeah. Yeah, man, definitely. So, moving on. Any final thoughts? Love this. Uh, any, any criticism? There's one thing I want to bring up. Go for it. It kind of gets real quick at the end. Yeah. It's abrupt. It, yeah, it kind of gets real quick, and I don't want to say silly, but, I mean, it gets like... it. it it takes a hokier turn than the rest of the movie had been. Right. Right. You know what I, I mean? I'll give you that. I'll yeah, give you that. Yeah. And so like to, to talk about the richness and the seriousness and the sincerity of the whole film, you get all that. And then the end is just kind of like candy man. Well, it's like, there's, <laughs> you know a, I mean? there's right. a certain way you got to wrap this up. Right. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. And you can't go 
for another half hour, you know, stretching things out. It kind of, I feel like it almost had to go that way. Maybe not as much of the things spinning around and the chairs moving, you know, we're in a different, because he wakes up from that. He was in a dream. It was a, you know, Mm -hmm. he killed the man in a dream. I I know, but I mean, I'd go out, I'd go out on a limb and say that wasn't all him. Like, yeah. like you were talking about. I no, the guy, and the guy shows up and he's got like the sweater and the hat and there's like knives on his hand. <laughs> in a dream. <laughs> he keeps asking him what his favorite scary movie is. <laughs> now, like, <laughs> I, I agree with you on that because the movie was all about the journey. Right. And I, we strayed away from the importance of that, I feel like, kind of at the end. I, me personally, I would have enjoyed a more surreal and disturbing dream-like solution mm-hmm. to the to the to the film um instead of it being the this own unique path um and then kind of veering into a safe place to get to the credits mm-hmm. I, I i it's not a bad thing but it is something i i agree with you it's worth mentioning yeah because yeah. man it feels like the credits feel like somebody flipping the lights on when you're still asleep right like, hold on whoa yeah that's all i got to say for serpent the rainbow i would highly recommend this to anyone unless you're a dummy yeah, except for them. Yeah. Moving on. <laughs> yeah, man. Dolls, 1987, directed by Stuart Gordon, written by Ed Naha. Naha. Uh, starring <laughs> Ian Patrick Williams, uh, Carolyn Purdy Gordon. Purdy Gordon. You got to hear that. Uh, Carrie Lorraine, Guy Rolfe, and Hillary Mason. Chris? Dolls. You've got this horrible family. Oh, initial thoughts. Initial thoughts. I enjoyed it. Uh, it's a fun movie. Uh, what? It's only like an hour and 15 minutes. It's uh, hour and 17, which breaks my rule of thumb. I don't know if I've ever stated that on here. Uh-uh. For the majority of my life, if a movie was under an hour and 20 minutes, I expect it to be junk. Yeah. That was the cutoff. If it's over an hour and 20, we're into a true feature length. If not, what's wrong? Why is this not an hour and 20 minutes? Yeah. So, it's a short film. Hour and 17 minutes, and uh, a lot of fun. I mean, I'm not going to say it's the greatest movie ever made, but I, I enjoyed it. Glad and you got it. I'm glad I paid the 11 or 12 bucks for it. Right on. Had had both of you seen this? Be- you hadn't seen it before, never seen had it you? Before. No. Okay. Never seen this before. Initial thoughts? I had I had seen it before. I, I love the film mm-hmm. uh, because it has heart. That's all that matters yeah. to me. The, the rest of it is just... It's all surface. It doesn't matter. It's just a fun '80s film. But at its core, it's got so much more heart mm-hmm. than the than most of the films back then did. This wasn't just a paycheck. This was coming from a nice place, I think. Yeah. It, but yeah, I enjoy the film. It's I like films like that that do have some kind of sentiment to it, without it being sappy. Mm-hmm. It's just a nice movie. It's fun, but it doesn't stray away from some of the horror elements. We we get gruesome at times. We have a good time. It's just a fun movie. Yeah. Mad Chan. Yeah, it was cool. I liked it. Um, I mean, it was everything I thought it was going to be. Right. Really. Like, and that's and that's what I liked about it. I wasn't, I didn't go into Dolls <laughs> expecting. <laughs> Gone with the wind. Yeah, no, seriously, I didn't. I didn't go into Dolls expecting anything, like, great. But it gave me exactly what I wanted out of it. And therefore, that's why I like the movie. Yeah. It's because it. It was what it was. It was dolls, man. Right. It was <laughs> right, exactly. You know, like if you told me, it was like, no, no, no. 
This is the best horror movie ever. I probably wouldn't have liked it as much. Right. But everybody was just like, no, nah, man, check it this out. It's dolls. It's dolls. Man. All right. Yeah. I got exactly what I wanted. I thought Gordon masterfully tapped in to elements of childhood for adults in a way that a child could watch this film and not be too traumatized from it. I, I mean, leave that up to the parents on certain elements if they wanted to watch it or not. But it's not gratuitously disgusting, mm-hmm. but it, it taps into ways uh very subtly at times like even something as simple as like the stepmoms like Corella deville without hitting you over the head with it you know i mean like i feel like it just taps in uh to the ideas of how shitty it is having to grow up for a lot of people you know (laughs) i mean like it sucks like a lot of people don't want to a lot of people choose not to um which we have in this film and we kind of love the guy for it in a way um because he was forced to but you're watching that come unravel because he lost a parent when he was eight. Mm-hmm. And you just see the just unmatched joy of being in the presence of it that's tapped into and how well he gets along with with this little girl who's in a, a shitty spot in our story. Um, because in a way, he was forced to stop right around where she is. Right. And so there's this great dynamic between them. Um, and even and you forgot to mention that it's Sean Astin playing the guy. <laughs> and at the, begin- <laughs> at, the, at the beginning, he looks like an older Sean Astin. <laughs> Wait, uh, no, I don't think that was sorry. Uh, but at the beginning, even it's great with like that kind of classic old dark house feel with the thunderstorm that's yeah. stranding the car. And we bring, you know, this arrangement of different people together. We have our token eighties punks, that we get in there with their boombox and and their getups. So I mean, I I could go on and on, but I'll let you guys have a chance to chime in on it. But yeah, the, that's at the core of it. I love how he taps into childhood, mm-hmm. and I think that's what's great about it because it's not a sappy movie, but it's there if you want it. Yeah, I seem to have taken a lot of notes on this movie, and yeah. there are a lot of one-liners. So I'm just gonna I'm gonna I like to give you a few of these. Try lay down the synopsis real quick. Oh please. So the synopsis, basically, this little girl with her dad and horrible stepmother, they're in their fancy car trying to go to vacation. Fancy European car. I, yeah. I, I questioned where this movie was taking place for a little <laughs> yeah. while. Fancy European car. They're <laughs> stupid rich. Uh, and they get stuck in the mud yeah. in a rainstorm. They find this house, as you said, the creepy old house. They go in, and the old couple that lives there are doll makers. Very sweet old makers creepy and as he, hell he yes. almost looks like ernest thesinger from like bride of frankenstein who mm-hmm. was in the old dark house which starts the exact same way hilarious with people getting stranded in the mud in a rainstorm and going to you guessed it an old dark house yeah uh and then um yeah as as professor said uh the the sweet childlike older guy not older guy the sweet child like 20 something guy shows up the man child the man child shows up the with, the punk the, rock girl with hookers and up. Q. yeah <laughs> yeah because he picked them up on the side of the road yeah. yeah yeah and then so a night of uh shenanigans and yes. if you will so mad chan my first note man when the teddy bear came back so the the, the mean woman oh, takes man. this girl girl's teddy bear and throws it into the woods and we're sitting there and we get this sequence where this fully grown teddy bear comes back, sheds his outer face, and becomes this evil looking monster and starts. And he's giant. Oh, now. huge, he's, man. Yeah, he's, he's huge. He's, he goes from being like a, a teddy bear that a kid could carry to like the size of a mascot. Right, of a football right, game. man. And he's, uh, he starts eating the woman. And I just, uh, 
that was the moment I smacked my damn head. I was like, I love this. It's already. I hope the it whole was movie so is this. Good. And it mm -hmm. was, and it was, and it, that's yeah. that set the tone. And it really did. I was yeah. like, I hope everything's like this, and it was all in the name of that girl's imagination. Yeah, yeah. and that was great because I mean, it was a dream sequence. It wasn't yeah. real, but it was fun. Yeah, so yeah, man. Good. I thought the doll makers were the old. The doll makers were old and creepy, man. Like mm -hmm. they were the perfect amount of. Like, oh, okay, like, ah, we've been living here forever, and this is what we do. Mm -hmm. I love that about them, man. Just bizarre, but just enough warmth in them at times. Yeah. They, they were fun. But every time that old lady smiled, you knew there was something right under the surface. That was a good actress. Because I, I never felt grandma easy around that woman. She was always like, oh, I'm about to make you into a pie. Like, <laughs> That's how I felt. <laughs> oh, man, what about when a woman asked for the anti-cues? Y'all got any anti-cues around here? <laughs> anti-cues. I forgot about that. I had to make that. that note, dude, instead of antiques. The woman was like, I bet y'all got a lot of anti-cues. Anti-cues. And, <laughs> and they're like listening to their like shitty new wave music like really loud. Just <laughs> for a party. Oh, goodness, man. Um, she dressed like Madonna. Yeah. Or Cindy Lauper. Both. Uh, pretty brutal attack on the mom. You remember that? Yes. Yeah. I love the scene with the, the, the blood on the bed sheet. Oh. That's just great. How brilliant, we, dude. We watch it initially come out, and then when we come back, it's doused on the front corner of it. Mm -hmm. And that's the kind of stuff where that's effective for a kid and an adult. Yeah. I, yeah, I just, that was great. I love the little toy soldiers shooting their guns yes. oh, at them. Yes. That was a lot of fun. Very funny. One of my notes is I got tired of this punk rock Jewel Shepard wannabe Tim Curry knockoff real quick. Mm -hmm. And then the next scene they shoot her. And I was like, that's a That's all I knew. Because <laughs> she starts getting, she's fine. She plays that back out of the, everybody there. She, she doesn't become annoying until she needs to be. That's what's great about this movie. Everybody's. Everybody's roles are just silenced until it's time for them to shine. You know, like the woman, she finally has her. She's a, she's an annoying into the father's ear, and then she starts amping herself up, and then she gets killed. Yeah, you know, hops out the window. Like every, and then the punk rock Joel Shepard wannabe, like the friend dies. She finally starts. You know, she becomes louder and more, and everybody steps up when they need to be to fill their spot into the movie. And that was one thing I thought was really interesting about it is because we didn't have to focus on anybody because you knew where everything was about to go. Not in a bad way, right. in that good way. Right. I really like that, man. There yeah. was a, so much about these dolls that was just great. Um, I do have one of my notes is I still stand firm with my original stance. Ladies and gentlemen, hashtag just kick Chucky. Uh, that's still in effect. <laughs> but when the dolls come to the first time we got to see them all come to life and the stop motion and everything yeah. started working, it was good, man. It really was. I I, I uh, got the Scream Factory of this, I don't know, maybe a year or two ago. And I it was like a rainy Saturday where I popped in Castle Freak and then this. Yes. And I had no idea what to expect with dolls. And so I kind of just wanted to tap into that real quick since I'd already seen this. But I can remember the first viewing being shocked at how entertaining the animation was. Yes. Because I expected this thing to be – because, you know, a lot of times they'll release movies that aren't – they're so bad they're good. Yeah. That's what I was kind of wondering what this would be. Mm -hmm. But I felt like this almost tapped into kind of that, that Amblin era in a weird way in a, in a Charles Band <laughs> approach right if that makes sense but in a good way but yeah i mean yeah. it's supremely entertaining like at any, there was no point in the film where i was like oh my god that's so 
bad it's entertaining. I mean, the Blu-ray shows up some of the strings on it, but who cares? You yeah, know, make your piece like that. But yeah, I thought the animation was really cool. Yeah, that was awesome. Um, so what about when the heads were smashed and there were like living creatures inside of them? Yeah, that big reveal at the end that the dolls are actually little corpses little or people. little people. Yeah. yeah, yeah, like that they've taken the bad people mm-hmm. and turned them into the little souls inside the dolls. Which so, is ultimately what happens to the dead. Yeah, and the the stepmother. Oh yeah, yeah. It's basically all of them. Prison. Actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's prison and it's war on shitty people who ruin childhood. Yeah, and your punishment is you get to be the dolls that they play with when they come by here. Yeah, I and, love that. Yeah, see, and knowing that part about it, like you said, it, it makes it even creepier when she's like, "Well, maybe you'll get to come back one day," yeah. and it's just like. No, because that's what she's talking about. Right. That's the way I took it. Yeah. When she's talking about, like, if you lose your innocence, then you'll get to come back and be a part of all this. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't take it like, oh, come back and visit. I took it as like, bitch, mess up and we got you. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm not trying to be mean, but that's like, she was scary, dude. That old woman was scary. It was good and true. Uh, the, um, I like the, 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 the letter from the dad. Oh, yeah. The letter of the dad. That was good. I also like the use of Punch and Judy. Punch and Judy are used in many films. Uh, it shows up in The Wicker Man. shows up in Gone Girl. Um, Punch and Judy have like significance as far as like puppets throughout time go. Yeah. So it's not just like a pig character they made up. It's, it's, uh, yeah. it's and, cool. And then the dad gets turned into the new Mr. Punch. Mm-hmm. I, my favorite line, though, is when he's like, P.S. I'm taking... The two hitchhikers with me. <laughs> you right, know what he's yeah. So for those of you that don't know what we're talking about, like the little girl's like, what happened? You know, like, where's her dad and everything? So the caretakers read her a letter. Your daddy left you a letter. And the, the letter says this. You know, he's run off with the, the woman and she's to go back to Boston and be with her mom. And, right, yeah. And everything. And then the guy's like, well, where were the two hitchhikers? He's like, P.S. I took the hitchhikers with me. <laughs> that was a great scene. <laughs> right. So then the, the Sean Aston man-child gets to take her <laughs> to her mother in Boston. Right, man. I read the – did anybody else – I read some of the IMDb stuff, man, and there uh, there was a supposed sequel to this. Really? And where the uh, – Dolls is this? Uh, well, the guy, the, the man-child, goes back to Boston, actually marries the mother, and a package arrives in the mail one day, and it's the dolls of the two caretakers. And that was going to be the supposed Weird. sequel that Stuart Gordon wanted to make. Interesting, but I want to say I'm really glad that didn't happen. Yeah. Right I love watching those two drive off in the car. Oh, no, no, I get you. With a shot at, at some happiness. I just, I love that. Yeah. But then, too, another car pulls in yeah. as they're leaving. They <laughs> with go down several with children lane. inside? Yeah. yeah they go down one lane and that next car pulls in. I love that shot, too. Yeah. So, like, uh, we pulled your car out. <laughs> well, I, I would recommend this to just about anybody. It's a treat. I think in some capacity, uh, all of us that love horror movies, to some some degree, don't want to fully let go of being a kid. That's right. why we're here. So yeah. I, I think everybody will enjoy this in, in some way or another. I'm glad you guys did. Yeah, I was like, I really man, did. I was like, what if I'm the sap? They're like, yeah. <laughs> okay, man. I really liked it. That was a good movie. Oh, last thing. When Mr. Punch pulls his pulls his staff apart and he's got a sword inside. I really enjoyed that. <laughs> Hard to beat good doll killing. Yeah. So, hashtag just kick Chucky. Hashtag JKC. <laughs> just really kick Chucky. It, Puppet Master 33. Yeah, right. 
Yeah, I really loathe the day that we sit down to watch all 36 Puppet Masters. It's going to happen. Uh, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And then we go, gosh, Charles Band went from dolls to do these. Come on, <laughs> Doug. No, dude. The first few, the first the few first Puppet few Masters are, are, are awesome. Okay. The, anime, they like, the, the dolls themselves look amazing. Yeah. The way they walk those and interact. Following. I don't know about part five and six and all those. But yeah, the first. Yeah. I think the first three are what people kind of regard as decent. Anyways. Anyway, dolls, good stuff. Dolls, 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 dolls. Okay, very good. Well, friends, uh, anything left to say on any of these movies? Uh, watch Dolls, watch Serpent, um, and if you're a diehard, watch Alice. Yeah, watch Dolls, watch Serpent. If you see Alice on the shelf, throw it in the trash. Yeah. If you are a hardcore slasher fan and like kind of origins in a way to it, I guess watch it, but eh. <laughs> I won't watch it again. Very good. Well, Thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Midwest Monsters Podcast. Uh, con season is coming up on us, and we Ooh, wow. look forward to seeing you all at the con. Stop by, say hello. If we've got some merch, we'll give it to you. If not, we'll give you a high five. Yeah. Or a Budweiser. Take your pick. And don't forget to check us out at www.midwestmonsters.net for all things Midwest Monsters. You'll find out what conventions we're going to. And it also links you to all the shows and all of our blogs, just in case you haven't read our blogs. And don't forget the Facebook page and the Instagram page. Check them out. I'm on Instagram every day. Yeah, every daggone day. So, closing out another episode of The Monster Mash. I am one of your hosts. I'm Grizzly Abner, joined by Matt Turner, Professor Wagstaff. Stay scary, my friends. Pop and pop.